Well, this is our last sermon in 1 Peter, and we have been going through 1 Peter verse by verse for uh, several weeks now, and we have come to the end, and if you will turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, we're going to begin in verse 12, um, then we will look at these last three verses of 1 Peter, and, and as we're looking at these verses, I, I do want to encourage you and remind you um, that this book has been, there has been a lot about suffering in this book. There has been a lot about persevering in this book, and it, it's going to continue as we talk about standing fast in the grace of God. It's going to continue even in these last three verses. We're going to see him to encourage us to stand firm once more, but we're also, as we look at these verses, we are going to be challenged and encouraged um, in looking at two of the people mentioned here in this passage. And so, uh, with that said, I want to encourage you to look at this extremely long title of a sermon. I would read that, but it would take me about to, no, I'm just kidding. But this is what we want from this. We want to be the type of person who should be enthusiastically mentioned in the conclusion of a letter. Because Peter is about to end his letter, and he's going to mention these people on a positive note. And if you've, re if you've read some of the Bible, especially in Paul's letters, Paul was not um, shy about calling out people when they haven't done what they're supposed to do or when they've treated him or the church poorly. And uh, so it's, we want to be the type of person who should be enthusiastically mentioned in the conclusion of a letter. And uh, there is encouragement to stand firm in the truths of the letter. And, and so the truths being persevere during suffering and, and continue to press on as the elect exiles as they were. And so with that said, let's look at verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 5. By Silvanus, and this is... Um, Silas, this is this one and the same person. Um, he's called this both of these names in different places in Scripture. And um, so Silvanus, Silas are the same person. And so you, you've probably heard of Silas. We're going to talk more about him in just a moment. But by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you. So what does this mean, by Silvanus? A lot of people believe that he was the person to deliver the, um, the mail, the elect exile mail, mail carrier. Um, he was the one to get this letter. If, if you remember back at the beginning of 1 Peter, he said he was writing to the people, and he started naming these different places uh, where they were. And so um, most people agree that Silas is the person who delivered the letter, but some people also believe that he was the one who actually wrote down with his hand uh, what Peter was saying for this. Um, but either way, we know that it's the words of Peter, it's in the voice of Peter, and it's delivered by Silas. And so Peter is saying that he regards him as a faithful brother, which is an, an, an exhortation and encouragement in itself to, about Silas and to Silas. And he says, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Now, this is important because if you have not been here 
And what you, ha- what you might not know is, is that this entire letter, Peter has been writing to a people who have suffered greatly and are in the midst of suffering. And he is encouraging them throughout the letter. It has been the thing that has come up more than any other thing that in that suffering they should persevere. They should keep pressing on. They should keep going. They should keep their eyes on Jesus. They should be there for one another in the midst of the suffering. And so he is encouraging them once again that what he has been saying is the true grace of God. Even the suffering is grace because God is the one helping us persevere through that suffering. Even if we can't sense his presence, even if we don't know exactly what he's doing or why he is allowing what this thing or that thing to happen, we could trust God that he is sovereign and that he knows exactly what he's doing and that what he is doing is not only what's best for his glory, um, but what's best for his glory is also best for us. And so it might not seem best according to our wisdom or our understanding or our interpretation of the events that we are currently going through or have gone through or will go through, but we could trust God that he knows exactly what he is doing. And in this, it's almost like Peter is saying, I know that this might not be what some of you signed up for. You, maybe you didn't know that there would be this much suffering. As we know, many of the New Testament believers uh, before Christ's death thought that he was going to be this uh, military leader, this government uh, authority. And that's not why he was coming first time not he was coming to die on the cross for our sins he was coming to um to bring in the new kingdom and it was different than what a lot of people were expecting and in that same case the christians later were encouraged to count the cost just as jesus encouraged people to count the cost but they still didn't know what they were getting into in fact i could ask you in here sitting in here for those of you who are followers of jesus How many of you understood what you were getting into when you became a follower of Jesus? How many of you understood the suffering that would be in your future? How many of you understood the sacrifice that would be in your future? Terry and Nan, did y'all have any idea y'all were going to be headed to Africa for 15 years? And so I believe that Peter is given this one final encouragement, this one final exhortation to say, this is the gospel. This is the grace of God. I know it might seem hard. I know it might seem difficult and crazy, and you have been scattered, and you have experienced all of this persecution, as, as most Christians during that time had. Um, but stand firm in it. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And the same could be told to us today. To stand firm in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus Christ, in the truth. Maybe not the truth in the form that we were taught it, uh, because just as a lot of the people during Jesus' time um, didn't really truly understand who he was and who he was going what he was going to fulfill in his time on earth, a lot of times we, as modern-day Christians, have wrong ideas, wrong beliefs about who God is and what he is doing and what he desires to do. 
And so we have to be open to what the truth is. And these people might not have seen the truth being the suffering that was coming, but it came. Maybe they thought things were going to get better, and it hadn't gotten better by this point. And, and Peter is telling them to persevere, to stand firm in it. And that's my encouragement to you today. Maybe you've been going through difficult times. Maybe you've been experiencing pain and persecution even. Um, whatever the case might be, we are to stand firm in our faith. Maybe your temptation has been not in uh, giving up. Maybe your temptation has been to give in to sin, to give in to a specific temptation that you have been experiencing. And I would say, as Peter has said, to this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. Don't give in to that temptation. Stand firm in it. And then I'm going to go back and look at this and just some more of this in just a moment. But in verse 13, so when I get through with verse 14, don't think you can go, okay? Nobody head to the exits. There's a little bit more to go. And you know me better than that. I'm not going to be finished before 1140. So um, in verse 13, it says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. Now I'm going to pause there and address this. So is this literally Babylon on the Euphrates River? Is this uh, literally the city of Babylon? Some believe that it is. Um, but most biblical scholars believe that this is a veiled reference to Rome and the Roman Empire, but specifically Rome. And this was, um, Babylon was, was a conquering state, right, back in the Old Testament. They were full of pride. They had these issues where they were persecuting the Jewish people. And now here in the New Testament, we have Rome doing the same thing to Christians. And so um, I will say that I do lean toward this being a reference to Rome uh, that's written in a way where if someone from Rome saw the letter, they wouldn't know exactly what is being said. But the New Testament church, when it was being read to them, um, would understand what was going on here. Um, but either way, it's, it's not a huge, huge deal. It doesn't change the meaning either way, wherever it's being written from. Um, but she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen. Now, why does he say she? Who is she? Some people believe that this is Peter's wife. Um, I believe that this is the church. She being the church in Rome, if this is a veiled reference to Rome, uh, is the one who is send, sending these greetings to those who have been exiled, scattered, dispersed. And so she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Now, many of you have heard the name Mark before. He's mentioned throughout the New Testament, but he also wrote the gospel according to Mark. That's Mark. And so we're going to look at some more about Mark in just a moment. And then it says, uh, greet one another with the kiss of love. And so Jimmy is going to stand at the back door on our way out today. And you guys feel free to greet him. No. This was just a cultural way to show them that, that they loved them, they cared about them. Uh, it, it's, it's like a firm handshake where you can just feel the respect in the handshake for some of us guys, right? <clears throat> Manly men. Uh, or a warm hug, right, that lets you know that you're welcome, 
that you're loved. Um, this is just a, an, a, a culturally appropriate way to greet one another and to sh in a warm way and to show affection. So greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And so there's a few things that I want us to look at in these verses. I want us to look at Silas in his life briefly. I want us to look at Mark in his life. And I also want us to look at peace to all of you who are in Christ. Um, and we'll, we'll look at that in the, at the end. But let's talk about Silas first. Silas, if you've read Acts, if you've read some of the other New Testament letters, then you will have seen him, his name come up. Um, look here, he's, what is he called in 1 Peter 5 verse 12? A faithful brother. And so you can see here that this is someone that uh, Peter respects and that Peter um, trusts if he's going to give him the letter to deliver. And obviously if he's delivering the letter, he's more than just a mail carrier. He's going to go help to encourage, exhort, lead in these churches where he's passing through. And we have seen this in Silas's life before. Um, if, if you were to look in different places like Acts 16.37, you will see that it appears that uh, Silas or Silvanus is a um, Roman citizen. Uh, he's also a Hellenistic Jew, uh, but he, he shows up throughout. And 1 Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1, when we go there, we see Silas or Silvanus. Uh, when we first meet Silas in Scripture, he's a leader at the church in Jerusalem, and this is in Acts 15. And, and, and then after the Jerusalem council, he was chosen, Silas was chosen uh, to help communicate the decision made there to Antioch. And, and, and then we see him. He's sent out with Paul, and we see him as he is accompanying Paul on the, his missionary journey in Acts 15. And if we were to go to Acts 15 and look at some of that, even into Acts 17, uh, where they actually end up at Thessalonica. But some of the stuff in Acts 15, Acts 16, I want us to talk about for a second. Um, exactly. Uh, when, when Paul and Silas are on their missionary journey and God directs them to Philippi and Paul and Silas are thrown in jail and if you remember that story, they begin to sing hymns. They begin to sing in, in the midst of their suffering, being locked up in prison, they begin to sing Hymns and the angel of uh, an angel comes and and helps them and they have an opportunity to escape. All the the, the doors are open. They have an opportunity to escape. The guard, knowing that his life would be over if the prisoners escaped, was about to harm himself. And Paul tells him not to do it. That they're all still there. And when the prisoners see that the uh, or when the guard sees that the prisoners kept themselves be, remaining behind in order to spare the guard's life, the guard said, what must I do to be saved? And so right there we see in Paul and Silas and their faithfulness, we see transformation happening in the lives of the people around them. And because not only is the guard, does he believe and is baptized, but his whole family believes 
and was baptized. And so um, we see what God was doing through Paul and through Silas in that. And, and that's in Acts chapter 16. Um, if, we, if you just go right into Acts chapter 17, then you see Paul and Silas ministering in Thessalonica. And they're, they're, they do that briefly because they're run out of town. And they go to Berea, and they have better success. The people there were eager to hear what they had to say and to study what they had to say and make sure that what they were saying it was truth. And so they go, and they hear these things, and they are excited to hear what God is saying. But then people from Thessalonica hear that they're there, and they come over to cause trouble in this town also. And so the Christians encourage Paul to leave, but they don't, they don't want him to be hurt, harmed, and so they encourage him to leave. Um, but Silas and Timothy stay behind. And so many of you know the name Timothy um, from the scriptures and from the letters that Paul wrote to him, First and Second Timothy. Um, anyway, here's why I'm saying this. Here's why I'm telling you about Silas's life is because Paul, sorry, Peter and Silas, here they are, they're not coming from a place where they don't understand what these people, the recipients of 1 Peter, the letter, they're not coming from a place where they can't understand what they're going through. They know exactly what they're going through. Paul and Silas didn't have a home either. They were constantly having to go from one place to another, sometimes by choice to help um, strengthen a church, encourage a church, and bring correction to a church, whatever the case might be. Uh, other times, not so much by choice because they were put in jail, like in Philippians, or they were put in prison, um, like Peter and, and Paul, both in Rome at different times. And it's church history tells us that Rome is where Peter lost his life. And so these are not two men who are simply saying, persevere, move on. It's going to be okay. Keep going. Stand firm in your faith. This is the grace of God. Stand firm in it. This is not just people who are just saying these things without having to experience it themselves. They knew the suffering that these people had gone through. They knew the suffering that you might go through, have been through, will go through, whatever the case might be. They know suffering. And in knowing suffering, they can still say, Stand firm. In knowing suffering, they can still say, persevere. I'm, I'm fairly young. I don't guess I can say I'm young anymore. I mean, some of you are like, you're young. But some of you are like, man, you're old. Don't, don't give me those eyes, Mason. No, I'm just playing. He wasn't looking up at me. Um, and so... But here's what I know, is that I, as most of you in this room, I've experienced suffering. Some of the suffering has been mild. Some of the suffering has come because of my own bad choices. And some of my suffering has come because I'm a follower of Jesus. 
And in all of that suffering, I know that I am to stand firm. Sometimes my standing firm, when I get through the situation, I look back and I think, how in the world did I stand firm in that way? How did I do that? Like, it's only by the grace of God. Christ got me through that. And then sometimes I look back at, at the way I responded to suffering, and I think, wow, I hope no one finds out about that. <laughs> that is shameful. And uh, I, I was just, by the skin of my teeth did I make it in. I, I barely persevered. I barely stood firm. I don't even know if I stood firm. I was more like jelly and just didn't happen to fall over. And did I just dance like jelly in the pulpit? Okay, just making sure I saw that. But as we're standing firm, sometimes our experiences are different. Sometimes we do it well, and other times we don't do it well. All of what we see in Silas, now again, this is, we just see glimpses of Silas's life. But in those glimpses, we see him standing firm. Time and time again, we see him standing firm. In fact, we see the church sending Paul away from a dangerous situation and telling Silas and Timothy, stay here and take care of this. And they do. And, and here he is now about to deliver this letter to people who are suffering. And so Silas is someone who stood firm. And can that be said of us? What is going to be said at our funeral? What is going to be said about us by our families after we pass? What is going to be written about us in books? That'll be Sarah Davis. Is Sarah keeping kids right? Oh, yeah, she's in children's church. I was going to make a joke about people writing books about her humor after she's gone. But whatever the case is, we have to make sure <clears throat> that we are standing firm by the power, <clears throat> excuse me, by the power of Christ. We're not standing firm in our own strength. We're not standing firm in our own wisdom. We're not standing firm because we trust that um, we have the ability to make it through anything on our own power or our own strength and our own doing. We stand firm in the gospel. We stand firm in the grace of God. We stand firm in trusting that he will see us through. He will get us through. Not in our own power, but in his power. And so, uh, but what about when we don't stand firm? What about when we make mistakes? Well, it's a good thing that Peter mentions Mark here at the end of his letter. Because just as in Silas's case, we, we see him standing firm and not making many mistakes. In Mark's case, some of our first introduction to Mark, or John Mark, uh, from the New Testament, and you can see some stuff about him in Acts chapter 12, 13, 15, Colossians 4, Philemon, verse 24, 2 Timothy 4, 11, uh, 1 Peter, verses 5, Peter 5, 13, where we're at right here. Um, we, we can see a lot of Mark in the New Testament, these little glimpses again, just like in the life of Silas. Uh, but Mark also has a gospel, and the gospel is not about his own life. Uh, it's about the life of Jesus, and Mark wasn't even a firsthand witness to these things. In fact, the person writing this letter that we're studying is believed to be the person who gave Mark the firsthand account, which would be Peter. Uh, most people believe 
most scholars, I should say, believe that Mark is the voice, like the gospel according to Mark, is the voice of Peter. That it's through their time together where Mark got these stories, where Mark was able to write the gospel of, of, about Jesus uh, and his life. And so, with that said, what we see about Mark in the New Testament is that he goes out on this missionary journey with Paul and his cousin Barnabas. And Barnabas was this great encourager. And he's the one who, when Paul was converted to Christianity, if you don't know about Paul's life, Paul was out persecuting Christians, holding the coats while Stephen is being stoned and and killed. Stephen was one of the first deacons in the church. Uh, Paul was on his way to drag Christians out of their homes and put them in jail when Jesus appeared to him on the road, and and he became a follower of Jesus. Paul did. Saul became Paul. Um, And so all the early Christians knew about Paul was that he had been persecuting Christians and killing them. So they thought that this was a trick, that he was saying he was a Christian, and he was really, it was an undercover sting to get Christians thrown in jail. And it was Barnabas who came alongside Paul and said, no, or to the rest of the Christians, I believe that what God has done in his life is genuine. Let's give him a chance, and the rest is history. So anyway, Paul and Barnabas are on this journey together, and Mark, for whatever reason, does not stand firm. He decides that he needs to go home. Um, I've heard all kinds of theories about why he went home. My favorite being that he was a mama's boy. He missed his mama. He needed to go home. I understand that. Uh, I'm ready to see my mama. So, you know, uh, whatever the case is, he left. And when it was time to go on their next journey, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, Mark, um, and Paul did not. And so Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways. And now God blessed both journeys and both paths. Um, And we know that he blessed Mark because not only do we see Peter here. How is Peter referring to him in verse 13, 1 Peter 5.13? As so does Mark, my son. So obviously Peter feels close to him, but it's good to note that so did Paul. Um, Paul also found him um, helpful. And this is, let me read this. Uh, I'm, I'm halfway through my notes, so let me find my little spot here. But um, in Colossians 4.10, when Paul is writing from prison, Mark is there with him. So apparently there was reconciliation between Paul and Mark. But here's why I'm bringing up Mark in this. Maybe you find yourself currently or there has been a time in your past where you knew you were supposed to stand firm in the midst of suffering. You knew you were supposed to stand firm in a time when life was crazy and hectic and and persecution or whatever the case, whatever you were experiencing suffering, it was there. And you knew you were supposed to stand firm and you didn't. Is God just done with you? No. How many times do we see in Scripture 
the opportunity of forgiveness, the opportunity of a second chance. Now, the leadership role that you were in, maybe that's gone. The marriage that you were in, if your actions led to that split, maybe it's too late. Maybe that's in the past. Maybe not. Maybe you should fight for that marriage. But if remarriage has already occurred, things like that, something that's in the past, I'm not saying that we can undo the consequences of our actions. I'm not trying to say that. What I am trying to say is that when we fall, not if, but when, we fall, when we fail, when we sin, God is always there to forgive us. If we cry out to him, he will forgive us. And as his grace abounds and his mercy abounds, we see his love more and more and more. We see his faithfulness more and more and more. Now, Paul tells us in Roman, at the end of Romans 5, beginning in Romans 6, does that mean that we should keep on sinning so that the grace of God may abound even more? Uh, look how gracious God is. He covers all these sins. No, of course not. We need to be faithful. But when we do sin, he's there to forgive. And so when we're looking at faithfulness, I don't want us to just look at someone like Silas and think that that's the only path where, as far as we know, obviously Silas sinned. We all sinned. But as far as we know, there was never a hiccup in Silas's journey, in his ministry, in what he was doing for Christ. But there was in Mark's. From the start, he leaves the first missionary journey, and he goes home. And when the second journey comes, Paul chooses not to give him another chance. But Barnabas does. And so... In time, Mark earns the respect of Paul back. In time, we see that he's right here with Peter. And I mean, do we have two stronger Christians after Jesus' ascension than Peter and Paul? And here is Mark right beside him. The same Mark who got scared and went home, or whatever the case was, he went home, and Paul looked at it not as just... Uh, obviously Paul wasn't happy with the excuse or he would have let him come back on the second journey. And so maybe you're in here this morning and maybe you haven't been following Jesus the way that you know you should have been. Maybe you're in here this morning and you've known that you were supposed to do this thing but you didn't do it. Or maybe you're in here and you know that you should not have done whatever it is but you did it anyway. If you're in here and you're still breathing, which I hope that's all of us, then we have an opportunity to repent. We have an opportunity to turn from that sin. And if Christ is, is convicting our hearts right now, then let's turn from that. And let's see what God holds for our future. Let's look at the grace of God and let's stand firm in it. And with that said, Mark not only does he befriend Paul and Peter and do ministry with them and is found as useful for ministry, Paul says, at the end of his life, and, and Peter has him right beside him, calling Silas a faithful brother and Mark his son. So obviously there is great uh, compassion there and love there between those, 
3. Um, but we end the letter, Peter ends the letter with this. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And obviously Mark experienced that peace even in the midst of his trials, even in the midst of his own mistakes, because later we find that he writes the gospel according to Mark that we have in our Bibles today. And we wouldn't have that if it wasn't for second chances. We wouldn't have that if reconciliation and redemption were not a major theme of the New Testament of the whole Bible. And so if you're in here today and you've messed up and you're not sure how God can use you, I will say peace to you because of the grace of God. We can stand firm in his grace. We can embrace an opportunity of hope. We can embrace an opportunity of forgiveness. We can embrace the opportunity of second chances. And we can live for him. And your second act, it may not look like your first act would have looked if you would have been obedient. And I say second act. For some of us, it's the 16th act. We've needed to be forgiven a lot. I know I have. And... But my point is, is that we, while we can't undo the consequences of our wrong choices in the first place, we can work to be faithful after we have repented from those wrong choices and turn back to God. We can work to be faithful for now, for the present, for the future, and following him. And so what if your best days are ahead of you? What if you've made bad choices like Mark made by leaving that? first trip but what if you writing the gospel of Mark of course it would be something different for you of how God uses you but what if the way that God wants to use you that you'll be remembered for the thing that you will, that you, the thing about your life that will honor God and glorify him the most what if that thing has not even been done yet and I say that thing I don't want it to sound like Mark writing the gospel was the, was the only thing he did. His faithfulness is present here. His, he would not have been able to pen that gospel if he would not have been faithful over the years. If he would have kept being disobedient and disobedient and disobedient and disobedient, I doubt that God would have come to him and said, okay, now I want you to write this gospel, this biography of Jesus' life, telling the, the good news of why he came. I, I, I doubt that that would be the case. And so start today being faithful, and there is no telling how God might use you for his glory. We look at ourselves and we look at our lives, and, and uh, some of us think way too highly of ourselves than we ought to, and others of us think way too low of ourselves than we ought to. But wherever we stand, we can come into the presence of Jesus, and we can ask him to search us and to help us see what is true in us and about us and that to help us see how we can live better for him and we can come to Jesus and, and we can examine ourselves and, and be true to ourselves and, and ask how are we being faithful to the cause of Christ because a lot of us when we get to the end of our lives we're going to be able to say hey we earned a, a good income we took care of our families there's going to be a lot of us that are able going to be able to say that a lot of us are going to get to the end of our lives and we're going to say, hey, I was a pretty good boy. 
I, I stopped cussing. I didn't drink or chew or go with girls who do. Southeast Arkansas saying. We're going to get to the end of our lives and we're going to be able to say, I did this or I did that. And there's nothing wrong with doing good. We should desire to do good. But when we make it to the end of our lives, if we're not finding our identity in Christ, if we're not finding salvation in Him, then on the day of judgment, we're going to be in trouble. And if we are in Christ, if we are part of the elect, as Peter describes it at the beginning of his letter, if we are a part of that, then how is God using us in our lives for his glory? I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and see what I should have done. I want to get to the end of my life and know that there are things that I could have done better but also be so grateful for the way that God used me day in and day out. And if we get to the end of our lives and, and we're, we think, well, our kids did great in sports, or I, I achieved this in my, my career, not that those things are bad, but what eternal impact do they have apart from Christ? But if we get to the end of our lives and we can say, do you know how God used me in my job to lead people to Christ, to encourage people to follow him more, to share the love of Jesus? If we get to the end of our lives and we look at, back at our family and the time we spent with them and we see I led my, my kids into that relationship with Jesus. I taught them about him. I made disciples of my children and my grandchildren. I made disciples who made disciples who made disciples. If we get to the end of our life and we look around us and our legacy is the people that we have poured our lives into, as Paul and Barnabas and Peter poured their lives into men like Silas and Mark and Timothy, and then those men poured their lives into men. And we have women in the New Testament who... Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla and, and, and um, Aquila was her husband. We have women who are pouring their lives into other people. And we see all throughout the New Testament, like we talked about Thessalonians, the letter, the letter to the Thessalonians, um, when we were looking at Silas and Paul being in Thessalonica earlier. It said that there were faithful women who believed in Berea. There were faithful women who believed. And they poured their lives into others. And we see Lydia and others, you know, in Philippi and beyond, where God used these people to influence the people around them, to change the world. If we were to look when Jesus was, when he died, when he rose again, and when he ascended, how many followers did he have? It wasn't many that were left. Many of them, like in the end of John 6, had already turned away from following him. 
So those who truly believed, those who truly had a relationship with him, the number was few at the day of Pentecost. And how were, were a handful of people, how were they going to change the world? Well, they were going to do it through Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Did those people make mistakes? Did they fail? Yes, absolutely. But they stood in grace. And they remained firm. And they took the encouragement of people like Peter when they were scattered and they didn't have hope and they didn't know what to do. And here comes the leaders to encourage them and challenge them to, to persevere through suffering, to persevere through persecution, to stand firm in the grace of God. And it's the same for us today. We have to stand firm. And our lives matter. Our lives count. And whether things are going well for us or things are difficult for us in, in this moment, we have to know that God has a purpose for our lives and that he can use us for his glory. He can use us to do great things. Over the next several weeks, we're, we're going to be talking about what is discipleship? What, what does that look like in the scripture? I'm going to be preaching sermons about men like Silas and Mark, men like Peter and Paul, and what they said about truly following Jesus and what that might look like. We've been talking about some of these things in our Wednesday night um, Bible study for young adults and new believers. And we're going to look at what, what God's word says about how we should be following him. And spoiler alert, it's wholeheartedly. It's not just when it fits you. It's not just when it benefits you. It's wholeheartedly at all times. And are we doing that? I know that there are many of you in here who are like Silas. Sure, you've sinned. Sure, you've, you've made mistakes. But if we were to look at the arc of, of faithfulness in your life, you have been faithful followers of Jesus. And I praise God for you. And I just pray that you would ask God that he would continue to use you until we have no more life on this earth, that he would continue to use us for his glory. And for those of you, for those of us in here who can relate to Mark, and you've made some choices that you shouldn't have made, don't just pretend like they didn't happen. Go to God and, and tell him you're sorry for those choices. Repent of those choices. And then turn back to God and ask him, okay, I, I know I messed up there. I blew it on that one. But what can I do now for your glory? How can I serve you faithfully now from where I am? And there are many of us in this room right now who need to go to God with that attitude. And then there might be some of us in this room who maybe we profess Jesus as Lord, but we've never wholeheartedly sold out and followed him in the way that the Bible says we should. I'm, I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm saying that if we are saved, the fruit that Scripture gives us to prove that is a changed heart, a transformed heart, and, and the actions that follow that, living for Jesus, being faithful to him. And when we, when we mess up, we repent, and we continue on. We stand firm. Maybe you're in here, and that's you. Or maybe you're in here, and you have not even began to follow Jesus. Maybe you know the truth that he is the son of God, you know that 
what I've been teaching in First Peter and what, what Peter wrote to these elect exiles, this is true, but you have never been born again. You've never determined to follow Jesus and experience the, that transformation that I was talking about earlier. If that's you, then turn to God for salvation. Turn to God for life. Turn to God for a relationship with him. You respond to God in whatever way he's leading. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And I just pray that as we conclude this sermon, this service, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us in our hearts wherever we are with you. Lord, whether we've been faithful, whether we've been faithful but we've made some bad choices recently or in the past, or whether we've we love you and we're following you, but there hasn't been much fruit produced in our life because our faithfulness has not been what it should be. Or maybe there's someone in here who doesn't know you at all. Whatever the case, I pray that you would challenge and convict hearts right now and that people would love you and they would turn to you and they would stand firm in your grace and that you would direct our paths and direct our steps so that from here on out, Lord, that this could be a day, that this could be a time where we look back and remember what you were doing in our lives during this time to change us, to transform us into your image and to help us to be more like you and to, to love you and to love others with all of our heart. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each heart in whatever way you need to. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.